Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, we have episode three titled, Do You Know Who I Am? The Digital Identity Challenge. It is undeniable that we are now faced with more digital interactions where the various parties are interacting without knowing each other. This is linked to the much-needed focus on digital identity, authentication, and behavioral analytics. So has the pandemic forced people's perception of digital identity to change as they have been forced to accept digital transformation in their own lives? Today, it is my pleasure to be joined by my guests, François Lanier, VP of Identity and Access Management at Thales, and Sundaram Lakshmanan, Chief Technology Officer and Head of Engineering and Products at CypherCloud. So, François and uh, Sundaram, would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, thank you, Niha. Uh, so, my name is François Lanier, and I'm uh, responsible for the Identity and Access Management um, product line at Thales. Uh, I've been with the, the company for oof, uh, over 24 years across, you know, I mean, it's various evolutions and uh, various business lines. And uh, I took this position as the, uh, the head of um, IEM product uh, through the acquisition of SafeNet by Gemalto in 2015. Yes. Sundan? Yeah, thank you, Nira. And thank you, Francois, for having me here. I'm glad to be here on this podcast. Uh, I'm Sundaram Lakshmanan. I'm Chief Technology Officer, Head of Engineering and Products at CypherCloud. I've been with the company for over six years now. Uh, been in product uh, development, mainly networking and network security product development, have led different teams for over two decades. Uh, especially in the last decade, I've uh, built um, uh, three different cloud security um, as services. Uh, starting with Secure Web Gateway, Mobile Security as a Service, and now we're building uh, what's called the CASB, Cloud Security as a Service. Glad to be here on the call. Well, welcome to you both. Um, I look forward to a very interesting session today. So first of all, in the days and weeks following the declaration of a pandemic, and as companies instituted work from home, what were some of the major struggles companies faced in the immediate aftermath. Uh, François, to start us. Yeah, sure. Um, Nihal, I'd be happy to, uh, and to uh, give you uh, some, uh, some ideas here. I think when we look at the, um, the security models of most organizations, you know, they, they were designed 10 plus years ago uh, with the, uh, the focus of implementing, you know, security um, uh, controls at the, uh, at the perimeter, right? And, and the main, uh, the main focus of organizations at that time was, uh, you know, uh, identifying what we call uh, in-network versus out-of-network, you know, uh, uh, traffic, right? So, uh, and, and there was very basic security assumptions, right? Meaning if it is in-network, it can be trusted, 
if it is out of network, then it is not trusted, and, there, and therefore, you know, I mean, companies have to do uh, uh, some authentication or at least, you know, I mean, do some uh, some security, take some security measures, right? Uh, so the, the security was really, I mean, uh, implemented at the perimeter because um, that's where the, uh, the untrusted traffic, you know, was supposed to be uh, to be coming from. Uh, this this has changed, and uh, and and clearly, what uh, COVID has done, it's uh, it's completely, you know, I mean, transformed this um, this model and, and shown and highlighted uh, some of the uh, the limitation of that model, because now all of a sudden. Uh, when you have all the employees that are coming from the untrusted uh, network, right? Uh, the technology that's supposed to be the gatekeeping technology, like VPNs, uh, were not designed to handle that type of traffic, right? So the, the first impact was that this infrastructure, the VPN, started to saturate, uh, which forced, you know, I mean, many of these companies to go and uh, purchase, you know, uh, many additional VPN and VPN concentrators. Uh, there was also a huge, you know, increase of inbound traffic that uh, started to overflow, you know, the intrusion detection systems. Um, and then there, were, there was downtime down as well, right? So lack of productivity because some of these VPNs, you know, went down. Uh, Sometimes, you know, the, the traffic was very, very slow due to latency. Uh, so huge impact also on employee productivity. And, uh, and and what we saw as well, uh, Nira, is the fact that due to all of the above, right, the um, many of these companies started to bypass simple security mechanism to restore productivity. So to give you an example, uh, many companies were relying on, on technology uh, that they had on premise to protect access to Office 365, right? Uh, but in order to do that, they had to bring the employees uh, on premise through the VPN. Uh, and then when these VPNs started to go down, then many of these organizations decided to allow direct access of employees to Office 365, but without any security measures. So now all of a sudden, many of these organizations were allowing employees to access applications, very sensitive applications with big security holes, because again, their infrastructure was not, uh, was not ready to handle the, uh, this transformation or this change, right? Uh, and, and then the, the final thing is, uh, again, when we look at security principles or, uh, you know, uh, efficiency, when you have employees sitting at home directly connected to the Internet, why can't you allow them actually to, um, to access these resources uh, without having to connect through a, a VPN? I mean, it's not a good security, uh, um, security practice. So, I, I, you know, I mean, this is really something that has been well documented. We've seen a lot of articles in the, uh, the, the media. Uh, about you know these type of challenges that uh, companies that have these old uh, models uh, struggle with, right? Absolutely, François. Thank you. And indeed, it is undeniable that uh, the enterprise perimeter has been crumbling over the past decade or so. So, Sundaram, do you have anything to add? Uh, that was uh, very well summarized. Uh, the enterprise security, right? It's been hard on the perimeter, soft on the inside, just like a, what I call it, a coconut security, right? Like a coconut, hard on outside and soft on inside. Uh, there is a tectonic shift going on. I mean, no doubt about that. There is a tectonic shift going on with this COVID-19 lockdown and uh, remote workforce taking charge. Uh, the biggest revelation, which will be felt, the ripple effect of all these things will be felt for many more years to come is Many enterprises have uh, discovered their data security controls are um, very minimal to non-existent. And Francois already highlighted the problem of bringing back all the traffic to your enterprise, right? 
Uh, we don't have to overemphasize that. Um, but but this tectonic shift is going to be here and the ripple effect will be felt for a long time. I completely agree. So are there any additional risks that must be mitigated when uh, corporate information and sensitive applications are being used in a home environment? Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, just like what we highlighted, uh, the data security controls were missing uh, when things were well within the enterprise perimeter. But now when the people have moved out, applications are moving out and the data is all outside the perimeter, these controls, bringing back the controls and tying them with the identity right, to enforce chip controls, that's going to be the challenge. And what we are realizing or seeing in the market is the companies that have started their cloud journey are faring better because cloud and SaaS applications are built on this model. Um, it's like uh, trust but verify um, and zero trust is uh, front and center in all access, whether it's accessing your application or accessing your uh, data, right, on uh, whether it's your corporate device or bring your own device. And so this this is going to be uh, the future. Oh, absolutely, uh, I agree. And uh, uh, because of the the speed of transformation that uh, uh, we are forced into, uh, how uh, do we ensure that uh, people are in fact who who they say they are? How can we ensure uh, that we have the person's true online identity? Yeah, so I can uh, I can try to answer that uh, question, uh, Neha. Um, this is a, this is a very good question, and it kind of highlights also I mean the nuances between uh, the type of user that an organization is dealing with, right? Because uh, typically, I mean, if you're an employee, uh, there is an assumption that there is a pre-established relationship between the company and you. Especially when before COVID, you know, I mean, you, you could go to an office to show your ID and, uh, and from there you were in the HR system. And then when you were in the HR system, they could provision you uh, what we call a digital credential that would uh, become kind of your digital identity. So there was the ability, you know, in the physical world at least to establish root of trust, right? Uh, when you are dealing with external users that you don't have any pre-established relationship with, uh, that are completely remote, right? Uh, then you're dealing with a different set of problems because how do you establish the uh, the root of trust of that identity? Um, and 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 this is actually you know I mean technology that is already used and deployed in the uh, the customer IAM space uh, because when you look at uh, at banks or uh, you know uh, e-commerce companies that are dealing with consumers, they, they are dealing with that notion you know of how do you prove an identity. Uh, and, and there are solutions already existing, right? You, you, you already have now solutions, uh, what we call identity vetting or identity proofing, that eventually can uh, check, you know, uh, identity documents uh, from a cell phone, for instance, and it checks the uh, accuracy of that document against, you know, uh, some patterns and templates. Uh, it can also check the liveliness of the uh, of the user uh, and uh, and do additional checks as well. Eventually, you know, with, uh, with some uh, national identity system, so you you can now enable you know the uh, ability really to establish uh, a trusted identity uh, using some of these techniques. Um, and and then you know uh, over time, and that's also uh, the transformation I would say of the identity and access management space is uh, uh, the notion of identity is uh, not as important as the notion, you know, of um, uh, uh, confidence of that identity of a time. Uh, because, you know, in the past, if you were giving, you know, a digital credential to a user, 
you would assume that that digital credential, you know, you, you would trust it all, all the time, right? Um, on the other hand, now uh, the notion of very strong credential is not as important when you rely on, uh, you know, machine learning techniques and uh, the ability to analyze context and, and behavior of a user uh, to maintain the level of confidence of that identity. So the strength of the credential itself is not as important, I would say, as the ability now to track and monitor and establish a level of confidence over time. And yes, Sundaram, have you got anything to add on this question? That, that was very well put by Franz, where he established the need for identity vetting and uh, continuous authentication. I would like to add a few additional things to what we are observing in the market. Um, this identity and access is extremely important in uh, pretty much everything, right? Uh, starting with the root of trust, zero trust model in terms of access. Um, but what enterprises are also learning is the continuous monitoring aspects, which was kind of subtly into, uh, highlighted by Francois there in that um, uh, speech that he gave. That continuous monitoring, continuous enforcement is extremely important. And uh, by that, what I mean is the devices are to be trusted to a certain extent, but when it comes to a traffic, when it comes to an access, it's very hard to discern the difference between a device activity and a user activity. Kind of that establishes a point that every time in this transactional world, when the user is um, doing some activity, let's say he's downloading a sensitive data in a uh, cloud application or internal application, it's kind of a matter of uh, a reality these days to double check by uh, providing uh, or asking for additional credentials like multi-factor authentications, two-factor hardware tokens. It's extremely important that identity and access management and verification is not just done at the time of initial access, but it's done throughout the transactional phase um, in these uh, transactions. That's extremely important. And that's kind of the first point we are observing. And that's how you can uh, differentiate between a compromised device or a compromised account and a real account or a real user behind the account, right? And the other important point, um, again, uh, Francois highlighted this in terms of consumer identity. What we are seeing in the cloud security world is there's so much collaboration going on between enterprises, corporates, and their clientele, right, in terms of uh, patients, doctor relation or uh, banking and clientele relations. Uh, in all those cases, this cross-domain authentication also becomes extremely important, right? And these are tried to uh, some um, personal IDs or cloud identities where um, authentication mechanisms like OAuth and OpenID are playing a critical role. All these strong mechanisms, when they are executed uh, correct, enforced correctly, uh, you know, zero trust continuous verification model can enhance the enterprise security posture in this new real uh, reality of remote working um, significantly. Kind of those are the two points I would uh, re-emphasize: continuous authentication and cross-domain authentication. Uh, these are going to be playing a critical role. I absolutely agree, Sundaram, and uh, thank you, François, as well, for, for mentioning uh, uh, continuous monitoring, which leads me to, to ask the question, uh, so are traditional role-based authentication systems on the way out compared to attribute-based 
authentication systems? What do you think? Um, yeah, so I can, uh, I can jump in. Uh, I think, you know, the transformation we've seen from perimeter security to uh, 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 basically uh, what we call uh, zero trust security models. You can have an analogy, you know, uh, you can use that as an analogy, I would say, to explain a little bit the transformation from traditional uh, role-based uh, access to uh, attribute-based access. And, and, and why is that? Because um, in, in, in the old days, again, the notion, you know, of, um, of trust uh, was based on whether you're in the network or out of the network, right? Uh, and, and from an, an authorization standpoint, uh, basically in the old days as well, your role was uh, the only thing that was important to define what you could have access to, right? So, you know, I mean, if you have a specific role in the organization, if you're part of a sales organization, then that defines what you're supposed to access to. But on the other hand, if it is only role-based, then you're lacking, you know, an understanding of the context, right? And it's fine, by the way, when in the old days, uh, all the employees were accessing the application and resources from the network perimeter because they were sitting at the office and they were working uh, using, you know, a company laptop. Uh, so taking access decisions just based on your role was probably fine enough. Unfortunately, I mean, the world has changed. The world is evolving. And now to take into account the complexity of, you know, not just the role of the user, but also, I mean, some additional attribute of that user, uh, the context as well of that user, where is he connecting from? What device is he using? You know, I mean, all that is as added, you know, complexity in how you should take now access decisions, meaning how do you decide if that user is actually allowed to really access that resource at that given time? And, and attribute-based access control, you know, I mean, uh, allows that, right? I mean, it gives now that kind of multi-dimensional uh, um, ability to, to take access decisions and, and, and do it very dynamically as well. So, so that's why clearly, yes, you know, I mean, the world has evolved from perimeter security to zero trust model. And similarly, the world is evolving, you know, from role-based access control to attribute-based access control, right? I mean, it's the same same trend that, that we are seeing, and, and, and one is actually the source, you know, of the other as well, because they are both the consequence, I would say, of the same uh, transformation, right? The same cause of transformation in, in, in the environment. Thank you, Francois. So, Sundaram, uh, have you got anything to add, perhaps what technologies may be able to help in that respect? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I think Francois, uh, again, uh, you know, mentioned some very key critical points around how role-based is outdated and attribute-based access control uh, is taking over, uh, which is a critical aspect. And there was a fantastic NIST document that kind of uh, documents it at um, length, uh, SP 800-162, uh, right? Uh, that's a very nice document for anybody starting on this attribute-based access control. Just to add a few points that um, uh, what we are seeing in this new set of technologies, right, is uh, besides the attribute, environment plays a very critical role, as Francois already established, right? So there used to be the time when uh, people, enterprises used to give corporate devices and the BYOD became a huge problem. But now in the remote uh, workforce situation, when everybody's working from home, even the corporate devices have now become family computers. I'm sure our audience can connect to it, right? Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, we would have uh, shared uh, our access uh, for a good, a good uh, quick video call with our spouse or, you know, the kids wanted to check out some gaming website. We all share computers now at, um, on the family. 
So the environments can play a critical role. By that, what I mean is, if somebody is, you know, the device can be trusted to a certain extent, but the device posture can change, right? Um, anytime the device could be compromised and the malware can become active uh, when certain applications are accessed or certain data is accessed. Uh, that's one perfect example. And another example, user risk, and when the credentials are compromised, the user risk also um, becomes a very important point. So besides attribute-based access, the posture or risk-based access control is also uh, coming up in a lot of conversations and enterprises are very worried. Uh, and this is where the new sets of technologies uh, using AI and ML um, backed um, you know, by UIBA, uh, where you discover these risks um, in real time and then adjust the access itself. It's not no more about allowing or denying access. You could change the user experience. For example, uh, when somebody is accessing, let's say, a sensitive application like Salesforce and trying to download a sensitive opportunity or a contact list, uh, and if uh, a technology like a CASB or a ZTNA or a SASE discovers that the device is a high-risk device or the user is a high-risk user, you can change the experience by allowing them to read the data in the cloud application, but deny them uh, download, right? Uh, so that's how far the technologies have come. So this is uh, these are the few additional points I want like to add. Besides attribute-based access control, the dynamic, adaptive, risk-based access control is also extremely crucial in this environment. Oh, ab- absolutely, which bring, brings me to a, a related point, which is perhaps also very topical at elections time. Uh, synthetic identities have been a, an increasing threat of a threat over the past uh, few, few years. Uh, so, will such technology help with uh, that uh, increasing threat vector? I think it, it all revolves around the uh, the same themes, you know, that that we've mentioned. Um, it, it's the fact that uh, establishing, you know, root of trust of identities now is possible, you know, in a, in a remote world, right? There are technologies allowing that to happen. But I think more importantly, you know, what um, a synthetic identity, what you call a synthetic identity, um, has a tough time uh, to to achieve, right? It's to replicate uh, all the contextual, you know, um, uh, changes or uh, behavior that uh, a normal uh, or valid identity would, would have, right? Because um, as soon as you establish a security model that is based on um, what Sundaram, you know, um, uh, explained as uh, adaptive uh, risk management, adaptive access, right? You make it increasingly more difficult than for any form of invalid identity or synthetic identity to mimic, right, or to try to replicate what a normal uh, identity would do. And that, this is where you know it becomes the, the, the concept of continuous authentication. The concept also, by the way, of uh, monitoring uh, signals uh, that are happening typically during the journey of a user. Right? I mean, there are things that users do typically. I mean, in terms of not only using their device, but the applications they access and their work habits and so on that fall into uh, into very specific patterns. And uh, when when you basically augment, you know, your uh, security model by now taking a very dynamic, adaptive approach like that, then it becomes, you know, increasingly uh, difficult um, to try to, um, to to do identity theft or identity attack because even if you can breach, you know, I mean, the the first gate, 
the, the ability for you then to, um, you know, forge your identity along a normal user journey becomes increasingly uh, difficult. So you may, you know, I mean, pass the first hurdle, but then after that, you know, you will probably fail at the, at, at the second hurdle, right? So just to use an analogy here. Does it make sense, uh, Mira? It makes absolute sense, so it's, uh, which brings me to, to my next question, really. Briefly, uh, earlier on, Francois, you, you mentioned the fact that uh, employees and customers attract two very different sets of problems. Traditionally, in the industry, we have seen the world of identity and, uh, and access management in the corporate world and a completely different customer and identity uh, uh, access management for uh, customers which attract very different sets of problems. So are we now seeing those two worlds merge? Yes. So um, so clearly, I mean, I, I, I believe so. Uh, the short answer is uh, I would say yes. Uh, and, and actually, you know, there, there is a contrast of how these two uh, domains have evolved, right? Because Workforce IAM uh, identity access management is not new. It's, a, it's an old business, right, that is under transformation uh, with all the forces that we dis described. Um, customer identity and access management is definitely a fast-growing industry, um, but where it, it's not coming, you know, from legacy uh, industry. I mean, it competes basically against homegrown system. For, for a long, long time, customer IAM was actually a competency that was done by, um, you know, uh, people that are dealing with external users like banks, financial institutions, uh, e-commerce companies, and so on. But they were do developing systems internally to address, you know, the challenge of um, these external identities. And because, again, the world is, is becoming increasingly more complex, uh, it has really now created an industry to try to address, you know, that, that complexity with, um, you know, um, uh, new services and, and capabilities, right? Now, what, what are the potential converging forces uh, that, that can um, really uh, explain or at least uh, reinforce the, the fact that these two um, technology or domains are converging? Um, I think that the, uh, the fact is that many customers uh, have now, you know, uh, needs uh, that are, uh, because they are dealing more and more, I would say, with very diverse population. Uh, and the, the, the border, I would say, or the boundaries of um, whether an identity or user is an employee or a customer or a contractor, you know, are becoming more and more blurry. And, and I think Sundaram touched a little bit on, on that as well earlier. Uh, by mentioning, you know, I mean that even at home, for instance, you know, uh, you can be a, you can be a consumer or you can be a, 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 an employee, a worker, right? And and you would do that from the same device, same PC. And sometimes, you know, within the um, the perimeter of your own enterprise, I always use the example of Google, for instance, right? Google employees are definitely employees of Google. But when they go home, they become Google customers, right? They all have their Gmail account and they all use, you know, Google Maps and so on, right? So, um, so that that's why, you know, the the fact that now the uh, the boundaries between are you an employee or are you an, an external user are, are becoming more and more blurry, which is kind of uh, forcing a little bit the convergence of technology here. Um, there, there is also, I mean, data regulations uh, is an important one, and I think Sundaram mentioned it earlier as well because. Um, the data regulation will accelerate also convergence of uh, workforce IAM and customer IAM because uh, employees as well as external users more and more are going to access the, the, the same data as well. 
right? In, in many organizations, you, you will have actually applications and data that may be accessed by consumers, by employees, and so on. And if you really want to comply with regulations in terms of privacy laws and data security and, pri and, um, and, and privacy, uh, you, you cannot, you know, I mean, rely on multiple security systems depending on who the user is. More and more, you will want to have a unified security systems that will actually enforce, you know, um, the, these regulations, right? So, um, so, that, so that's why I, I really believe that, yes, we, we are seeing more and more the, the convergence of these two, um, two technology domains. Right, and Thank you, Francois. In, and indeed, a, a good thing. So in our new order of uh, things, how important is it for businesses, large or small, to consider a zero-trust approach going forward, Sundaram? Oh, it's extremely important. And uh, I think this is the uh, future, and that's here to stay. Uh, if you really uh, look at um, starting, you know, uh, rewinding back to 2015 and onwards, every company that has started has started with this model already. And uh, predominantly, they have started in the cloud. And whoever's had a head start on the cloud journey understands this very nicely. Now it's the uh, traditional, more regulated industries. Uh, now they are waking up to this new reality because of this remote work situation, Right. Uh, if you really look at it, the enterprises, the way I would like to uh, uh, see uh, or the way it is going, uh, what we see in the market is uh, there is very little or less incentive for enterprises uh, to kind of start owning uh, devices or networks or applications or infrastructure. At the end of the day, what is required for business, for an enterprise is um, only two things, identity and the data, the data that they generate, the data that they own, the data that they collected. And those are the only two things that the enterprises are really interested in securing, controlling for their business. And rest of them, they have very little interest or little incentive uh, to own or um, to own it specifically, right? I mean, lack of expertise, lack of uh, business uh, increasing, burgeoning business cost, everything is pointing to this new uh, reality. And given this model, uh, zero trust becomes extremely important, right? We already covered a whole lot about attributes-based access control and risk-based access control. And everything points to uh, a few things, right? One is um, at every point in the access, whether the users are accessing the application or users are accessing the device, sorry, the data or data in the application or on the device, um, now, to enforce a zero trust model, meaning trust but verify, 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 continuously, continuously monitor, continuously authenticate, continuously enforce, that's going to be essential, whether the users are carrying their corporate identity, personal identity, whether they are contractors, partners, external identities, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's matching the identity with the data and factoring in all these contexts and attributes we talked about, the device, the environment, the locations. Um, so this is going to be here to stay. And um, what we have seen, uh, uh, just to summarize, is uh, the companies that have already started moving towards the cloud, they are already having a head start. And uh, these uh, traditional enterprises are now uh, moving to this model. And zero trust is a very fundamental change. Um, what we have seen in the last three years have taken shape and it's going to shape the industries in the nice um, future, towards the nice future. Yeah, and, and I'd like to add to that, if, if you don't mind, uh, Nihan, 
definitely agree as well. Huh? By the way, I think zero trust is, uh, you know, is the only uh, future-proof uh, security model, right, for companies that uh, that want to be ready. I would say for the uh, the, the 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 next, you know, a page of um, of work environment and work habits. Um, give you a few examples of the additional benefits that um, that it brings, right? I think it, it really allows organizations to uh, adapt new technologies, new applications, you know, at a higher pace because they don't have to worry about setting, you know, I mean, very difficult. Uh, network uh, security controls and, um, uh, you know, the, the zero trust model actually make abstraction of, of all the underlying networks and, um, and, and really can allow then organizations to become, uh, much more adaptive, right? And, and the adaptability is important also in the context of, uh, resources that are shifting, you know, from, uh, one location to another, uh, because in a zero trust model, when you attach a policy, uh, to users and, and to the applications, um, if you move, you know, I mean, the applications, let's assume that you're, you're using, you know, uh, on-premise emails and then you migrate to Office 365 and you had a security policy. With a zero-trust model, the policy moves with the application, right? So if, if, you, if, you, if you move applications around from your infrastructure to a private cloud or to a public cloud and so on and so forth, in a zero-trust model, you don't have to reset, you know, all the security perimeter because the policies just move with the applications, you know, in, in a very, very uh, seamless manner. And, and that really uh, allows organizations to be much more, you know, adaptable, much more um, dynamic in, in how they can embrace, uh, you know, new technologies uh, at a fast pace without compromising security. So there's no doubt, you know, that um, this, is the, uh, this is the future. Thank you both for uh, your very insightful considerations. So uh, finally, uh, I would like to ask you both for one final best practice piece of advice for our listeners. Sundaram. Uh, the best advice I could give is start considering, if you have not already started, uh, start considering security as a service. That will give you the best um, adoption to the new reality, will allow you to scale your business, will allow you to scale your services, uh, especially for the remote workforce, security as a service, as in a CASB, IAM, a CASB, a ZTNA, or a SASE. That's going to be the model for pretty much controlling access to all of your applications, irrespective of where they run, and also securing your internet access and things. That's one of the best things I've seen um, emerge. Thank you, Sundaram and Francois. One last piece of advice for our listeners. Yeah, sure. I think the uh, the, the the main piece of advice that I can uh, I can give, you know, is um, is really reflect upon what happened with COVID, uh, to to see that as an opportunity now to reflect, uh, recognize the other gaps, and and start what I call you know a, a transformational journey, right? Because Changing the security model, investing in zero trust, on the other hand, is not going to happen overnight, right? I mean, everybody has to be realistic. Uh, it's really a journey, right? There are, there are steps that organizations can take, you know, baby step one at a time. Uh, but on the other hand, they have to start somewhere. And, and, and uh, the, the first step is always going to be the most difficult to take. Um, but on the other hand, it's uh, it's really the one that um, that can allow organizations to um, to start making the journey towards the, um, the the changes that we are seeing in the marketplace, right? So my my recommendation is don't be you know I mean like uh, deals in the headlights where 
you know, it because it's so scary that uh, you don't know where to start, especially large organizations that have very, you know, I mean, expensive uh, legacy infrastructure that are very tough to change. Um, the, the, my, my recommendation is recognize that, but there are still many steps that these organizations can take to go on the right path and um, and, and take a pragmatic approach that will um, that will establish, you know, a sol solid zero trust foundation. Thank you both for being such excellent and insightful guests. That's all we have time for. You have been listening to episode three of the Thales Security Sessions, Do You Know Who I Am? The Digital Identity Challenge. Love this episode of the Thales Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talisgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.